Should I sell before I buy? Should I buy before I sell? I this is probably a big question we get asked a lot of the time when people are coming through our open homes. So stay tuned for our thoughts. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Morning Minutes, episode 360. Can't wait till we get to 400. It's getting up there. Good morning, James. How are you? Good, Michael. How are you today? Good, 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 good. Uh, should I buy before I sell? Should I sell before we buy? I think this is a big question for a lot of people who are looking to basically for the second property. Obviously, if it's your first property, you just need to focus on saving, getting your pre-approval and buy when you when you found the right home. But deciding, say if you're upgrading, downsizing, or just looking for a new property, it can be a little daunting of what's the right decision to do. And the, probably the easiest answer is, it's whatever's right for you. That where I've seen people who buy before they sell and they, and they really prefer that way or they've sold before they buy. Um, James, what do you reckon some of the factors are if you're, you're in a unit, you're, looking, you're in a one bedroom, you're thinking about buying a two bedroom, um, what are some of the factors you need to take in consideration if you should sell your one bedroom before you buy the two bedroom and vice versa? Yeah, sure. So look, not everyone's in the situation where they can purchase a second property without selling the first one. So for the most part, you know, the general population, uh, the majority of people would probably be in that boat. And a key little dialogue that we try to just ask every single buyer that comes through an open home or on the phone or whatever it is, is do you need to sell before you buy? And that quickly tells you where they're at. But at the same time, um, for the most part, it's yes, I do. And what people will often do is they'll fall in the trap of, getting excited, going looking for properties, but they're not in a position to actually purchase that in the first place. So um, it's just about working out exactly where they're at. And um, these little pieces of dialogue will uh, will help to find out which direction you need to push them in, whether you need to help them with that. Um, you might be able to get an appraisal out of it. It can, be, it can generate you more business, but it's um, simple little questions that might help uh, to, to win out really where that buyer is at. But just to elaborate what you, what you said there, it's, um it's sometimes it's not about what they want to do it's what they can do and when you mean by you, you have to sell before you buy that purely generally comes from a financial point of view so they may have saved up the deposit a 30 percent deposit to buy that one bedroom home but they may only have let's just say if they didn't have that and they're buying a property for a million dollars they may you may need two hundred thousand dollars to do that the buyer may only may have a hundred grand cash but they're obviously short $100,000 cash to buy that two bedroom home. However, they've got, they may have $300,000 in equity in their one bedroom home. So when James means you, you may not be able to, that purely comes from, they need to sell the one bedroom home to take out the 300 grand they've got there, add it to their $100,000, and now they've got $400,000 to buy that $1 million home. So a lot of people, so there's there are a couple options that people sometimes do um, where if they do really want to buy first, they may look at doing bridging finance um, where basically 
uh, they take out yep. some of that $300,000, add it to their $100,000, and then they can secure a property there. But a big question is uh, that people should look at when if they're going to buy first is do you have to have your current home sold at a certain price? Obviously, for this example, that one bedroom, obviously you'd love it to sell it at the highest price possible. But quite often, a broker will tell our clients, you need to sell for 600,000 to buy something for a million. Now, if you're selling a one bedroom apartment and let's say the agents appraised it at 570 to 630, and then, but I would often say to my clients, for whatever reason, what happens if it sells for 550? Are you still able to buy that property for a million dollars? And if they come turn around and say, yeah, yeah, it's fine. We, we don't even need to sell it all. We could sell for 450, our deposits large enough where we don't have any pressure that way, which is great. My alarm bells go off when they say, no, we need to sell it for 630,000. And you're like, I'd love, and you, as the agent, you're like, well, that's at the highest range of the opinion of value. Obviously we'll work hard to get that, but you would hate to have a buyer locked into a million dollar purchase and have to secure a, a, a higher price and may it be achievable for their apartment. Because what can go wrong is, it, let's say, say they can't get the 630, they fall through on the other sale, shit can really hit the fan there. So like James, you've got to really look at the, all the ins and the outs, all the what ifs. What if we don't sell for that? What if it yeah. takes longer to sell? You've really got to address that as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but also what you can do, talk about uh, having a longer settlement, James. If you're, let's say you're looking to buy first or sell where settlements are negotiable. Yep. Yep. So generally, a reducible settlement is something that can be quite attractive to someone in that sort of in that sort of uh, situation, where whereby if they do sell and when they do sell, they can then um, settle on that next purchase um, sooner than later. So it does allow that little bit of scope for both sides, so that it can move it, move it along a little bit faster as well. So there are a few different little different ways that you can go about it with just simple inclusions into inclusions into the contract, um, and often you can try and tailor something that might be suitable for you with the vendor's needs that you might be purchasing off at the same time. Yeah, so I'd always, if I was buying a property before I sold, I'd try and lock in a 12-week settlement with the ability to bring it forward. And that way you, because the, the, what you don't want if you're buying before you sell, you don't want the pressure of having to sell by a certain date. Because real estate, yeah. it's very unpredictable. We've had homes that you would think would sell within the first inspection or the first day and they take 10 weeks and homes that we thought would take 10 weeks and they sell in one week. So it's very unpredictable. But one thing um, yeah. over years we've learned, whenever there's sort of pressure on selling, it's not good. So if you were going to, like yeah. think about it this way, James, if you go to a buyer and say they have to sell today, and they the asking price was six fifty. Then the buyer's going to be all oh, six hundred. I thought they had to sell. That's the offer. Yeah. So you want to eliminate yeah. a lot of obstacles that way and the pressure. So if you do if you do want to buy before you've sold because maybe it's a it's a perfect property, lock in a long settlement, twelve weeks, fourteen weeks. It's whatever's agreed and negotiable. And you never know that buyer, the seller, 
of the home you're buying may need to buy a property and they're open to a long settlement. So that's a good way to take the pressure off you, to have a long settlement. And exactly what you said before, James, you can reduce it. So you can have a clause in there that says, uh, if we both agree, we can bring it forward within a week. And that way you can make it a smooth transition. Because what people do sometimes screw up basically is the timing because you don't want to be out of one property before you're ready to go into another property because one you need somewhere to live and you've got belongings to take there i've i've seen horror stories where they've bought and the other property they mistimed it or there was actually a delay so it wasn't intentional but they had to put everything in storage for two days yeah. they had to rent an bnb that wasn't available they ended up paying like $1,500 for the night. It was crazy. So it's very important to give yourself a bit of leeway and sort of work through those dates. Um, and also with deposits, one hand, do you want to talk about having a deposit released, James? And that can be really handful, uh, helpful if you're selling a property, you have the deposit released and you can use it. Do you want to go through that? Yeah, sure. So something that uh, is a little bit I suppose gray from a solicitor's perspective is the um, release deposit clause that you can also have included in there. And that again can be just a way in which the buyer and the seller can try and work together where the buyer knows that the seller is looking for another property. They need some money to be able to make purchase, whatever it is to, to get that next property. Um, if you can be agreeable to have a release of deposit uh, early uh, in the contract, then basically just allowing this sort of synergy where they're working together for the same common goal. They're both trying to purchase property, get in at the right time. Um, but from, from what you see, solicitors are a little bit shaky, but shaken by it because there are things that can sort of blow that up in the meantime. So for example, um, I believe if there's a death in during the before settlement, um, everything can go, uh, can go against the wall. Basically, do you, do you want to explain a little bit about what can happen? Glenn was telling me a, a horror story from the other day where there was a, a death of the of the seller and um the I, I think you said the deposit wasn't refundable in the end but the sale didn't go through yeah so just to take people back so a releasable deposit is when you're buying a property you put down a 10 percent deposit to exchange the contracts and that's held by generally the agency the the real estate agency in the trust account um we sometimes uh, the buyer will uh, the vendor will ask for that to be released to them so they can use that to, to buy another property. You know that example we said where they they may have 100 grand cash, but they got 300 grand tied up in the apartment and they need an extra 100 grand to buy that other property. So they could use the 10%, which is going to them anyway, and just secure it that way. It's um, some lawyers, it's more that, it's not that it's a gray area of between being legal and not legal. It just opens up some, some security issues because obviously if it's held in the agent's trust account if it's very easy to be transferred back to anyone um yeah. but on the example of a death i'm not it would have to be it would have to be quite it would probably be from the it the contract's basically binding so it would have to be a really shit scenario of a chain reaction because even if the seller per, passed away, contracts exchange, it would have to be a, a, a very unique one of almost a purchaser passing away and then they wouldn't be able to get the loan and like, but even in that case, the vendor would have the right that we've exchanged contracts regardless of what's happened, it's still binding. It's so, 
it, it, on yeah. one hand, it opens up a gray area, but on the other hand, it doesn't. Contracts are exchanged. Basically, that 10% deposit is not going back to the purchaser. It's going to the vendor if the contracts go ahead or not. Because if they default on the on the purchase, that 10% goes to the vendor anyway. So it's from it can really open up and being helpful to a lot of purchases for that cash flow when you're looking to sell before you buy or yeah. buy before you sell. So, but um, anything else you want to add on to that, James? I think that's a wrap for this morning. Yeah, I think that's a wrap, Michael. Perfect. All good. Thank you, guys. We'll be back, uh, uh, yeah, tomorrow morning. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, mate.